Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Hello, welcome along. It's the Magic Book Club podcast. My name's Tom. This is the place where we dive into the lives, the minds, the brains of some of your favourite authors to figure out just what makes them tick. This week, I'm joined by two fantastic authors. We've got the wonderful Sarita Domingo talking about a new anthology of romance writing that we're going to be going over later on in the show. And all the way from the US of A, I've got a mystery writing giant. I'm going I'm to hold off on his name. It's a proper huge, huge superstar writer. Uh, it's their 34th, yes, 34th novel. It's called Win, uh, and I'm going to be talking to that superstar very, very soon indeed. So sit down, pour yourself a cup of tea, or maybe jump on the treadmill, or maybe get that dog off the lead and let them go. Whatever it is you're up to, we've got the perfect soundtrack here on the Magic Book Club podcast. So first up on the show today, we are joined by the self-professed, hopeful, romantic and very, very brilliant author, Sarita Domingo. Hello, Sarita. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. And congratulations on this new fabulous publication, which I'm holding in my hands now. And uh, it is, I tell you what, it's beautiful. I love all the colours. Very beautiful colours. Yeah, it's so, it's so sort of um, lovely to have a beautiful book like this that's like a whole collection of love stories. It's really, really nice to to have it out there in, and in people's hands. Yes, indeed. And it's striking and it's full of life and it's vibrant and that pretty much resembles what's going on, you know, in all these stories. They are, there's so much, so many different things I could sort of talk about having, mm. having read them. There's so many different, like... I don't know. I feel like I've got a thousand different voices in my head now because I've read mm. all these different stories, all these different scenarios, all these different setups. How do you go go about bringing these all together and trying to make it a cohesive unit and make it and bind it into a book? Well, I mean, it's it's always interesting. It it was an interesting process seeing what people came up with when you just approach them and say, "Would you like to write a love story?" Um, seeing the vast number of different you know um, narratives that people come up with when you plant that seed in their head because not everyone in the collection were like you know self-professed romance writers Mm. but you know I think any talented writer can write a love story but it was just really interesting to see all the different stories that people came up with Um, and in terms of you know putting the project together it was just approaching writers who I really admired or who um, were up and coming that I really thought had the potential to do something fantastic and also reaching out to people who hadn't necessarily written fiction but I had an inkling that they would be great for this project and seeing if they'd be up for it and I was just very lucky that they were. So it must be so exciting when you hear back from people you you know you've got your eye on who you think are up and coming or you you know respect because they've already got a a brilliant body of work behind them Mm. it must be lush getting that email back that says yeah go on then that must be really exciting absolutely there was actually a lot of sliding into people's dms which um, oh come on (laughs) it really was just like how can i what's the quickest route to these people and i was just really lucky that people were receptive to the idea um i think people just love love so you know, it was it was relatively easy to persuade people and all the women in this, this collection were just so willing to embrace me and the idea with open arms. It was great. There's been historically a bit of a snobbery towards romantic fiction, hasn't there? Mm. Which is so unfair. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've written, um, you know, everything that I've written and had published so far has kind of 
fallen into the genre of romance. And I do think there is a bit of a snobbery towards it. I'm not entirely sure where that's come from. I think maybe people don't take it as seriously as they might other forms of literature. Mm. Um, You know, I don't know if it's because it tends to centre women. Maybe more women write romantic fiction than men do. Mm. Um, That could have something to do with it. Yes, but there's often the thing, isn't there? We've talked about this before on the podcast. If you take an author like, for example, Sebastian Fox, more more time, more often than not, he's just writing romance. They're they're just romantic. Absolutely, yeah. But of course, because he's a man, it gets Nick Hornby totally. It gets it gets put out there as as commercial literary fiction. It's Mm -hmm. like it's just romance. romance. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm not quite sure where that comes from, and it's funny because the books that I've written, particularly for adults. I'm often told fall between two stools, sort of romantic and literary. But, right. you know, I haven't really, certainly haven't had the opportunities that some of my male counterparts might have had um, yeah, when it indeed. comes to, to that indeed. kind of thing. Uh, talking about writing for adults. Uh, so your first novel, The Ninnis of You, that was published mm. in 2016. Uh, and that yes. came about after writing erotic short stories for Agent Provocateur. Please tell me, yes. were you like browsing <laughs> in Agent Provocateur and you were like, hey, listen, I can write you some stuff. How, how does this come about? Uh, I was not browsing. I, at the time, I would never have been able to afford Agent Provocateur lingerie, no, it's, it's, unfortunately. It's, price, isn't it? it's dead pricey. Yes. I can't afford any. I've, I'm wearing none right now. <laughs> but um, no, I actually worked for the publishing company that sort of won the rights to publish Agent Provocateur. Um, they were doing some collections of short uh, erotic fiction, as you say. And I was completely unrelated to editorial or anything like that. I worked in the sales and marketing department at the time, but I loved to write and I knew they were looking for authors. So I thought, you know, how difficult could it be? It was uh, the naivety of being very young, I think. It was my first job. Yeah, you know, I thought, why not put my put my name in the ring? And they um, they liked what I wrote for them uh, to the point where they commissioned me for a good number of stories. And then I was also commissioned to write an, an erotic novella for a company magazine. Mm. But erotic fiction was not my calling necessarily. It wasn't something that I thought, oh, that's my particular genre. It was just that was what was available to me. And it was the way I first got published. Was it quite an odd moment finding yourself at that point sort of being pigeonholed as the erotic novelist? That must have been like, how, how have I? Sorry, how has this happened? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. Uh, I mean, I think mainly I was just really excited to see something that I had written that was in a book that was published and it was in, you know, major bookshops and stuff. I didn't even really feel the sort of sense of embarrassment that a lot of people expected I might have. No, I, don't I was know. going to ask you that, but I thought that would be a crap question. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, so, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, wasn't that really embarrassing and mm. weird? But no, I think in a lot of my writing, I just feel like I can not detach myself because it's all very personal to me. But I think, you know, people do assume that if you've written a story, it's like about your life and not even just, certainly not in the erotic things, but even just other novels people sort of assume you're drawing directly from your life but Mm. that's the beauty of the imagination of writing a story it's sort of disconnected from reality in a way yeah yeah well let's let's talk about your short story uh, the waves will carry us back which is Mm. in this fantabulous wow (laughs) why not (laughs) Uh, which is in the fantabulous um who's loving you 
uh, Love Stories by Women of Colour. I realise I haven't actually said the full title of the, mm. uh, of the collection yet. <laughs> um, the Waves Will Carry Us Back, uh, the story of Amina and Andre. And um, I didn't realise, I was reading it and I was like, I really love that one. And only now, as I was talking to my producer before we started, I was like, oh, that's Sarita. Oh, great. Oh, oh. that's who I'm talking to. I loved, I loved the story. I thought it was uh, amazing. Give us a bit of a, give us a sort of short sell about this this story. The short sell of the short story to make it even smaller. Oh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, I did, I did. It is the story, yes, of um, uh, sort of an immigrant or migrant who... Uh, finds herself washed up on the beach side uh, on a beach in Spain. And she is discovered by uh, Andre, who is uh, a surfer, who is just on a sort of holiday. Um, he's out early one morning, sees a, a boat full of migrants pull up on the shore and um, everyone else sort of runs away. But he's drawn to Amina, who sort of stumbles, falls on the beach and he helps her. And then sort of they are separated and then have a chance to meet again years later mm. um, by sort of chance and fate. They're brought back Love together. Love stories always need a bit of chance and fate, don't exactly, they? Exactly, yes. always helps. <laughs> yeah, and a, a second chance at love. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's sort of the, the crux of the story. But it was inspired by a photo that I saw in the Guardian newspaper years and years and years ago and I had cut it out because it was just so beautiful it was um a soldier embracing a migrant woman on the beach mm. um in a very similar fashion to what happens in the story but I didn't want to have the character be a soldier I thought that had too many other sort of connotations to it so I tweaked it yeah yeah a soldier a surfer nearly the same yeah thing. <laughs> sort of <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get more different um it's uh but it's it, obviously that is a i mean you can say it's a timeless stories people bumping into each other by chance but it feels mm. contemporary as well with the stories at the moment and the, the climate we're in at the moment with with yeah. immigration all this kind of thing and asylum seekers and all this kind of stuff and and a lot of these stories have got well they they resonate with where we're at at the moment i mean there's a story before where um uh, people are going around in pods to keep away from viruses yes. so these are bang right. up to date with where we're at at the moment aren't they? Mm-hmm. yeah they are I think it, it's sort of um, a reflection of particularly asking British women of colour to write stories of love so I think we're bringing our own experiences and sensibilities into the the writing of the stories and perhaps it's inevitable that some political elements seep into it or some sort of yeah particularly contemporary issues come to the fore even through these love stories mm-hmm. and death as well why why does <laughs> it feels like that appears maybe that's another love story trope that i've sort of not really twigged <laughs> before but reading amna salim's uh, story which is just beautiful yes. about these letters oh my god wonderful but yeah just the, i guess the idea of life passing you by and disappearing and, the, and love is the antithesis of that i suppose yeah that's true and i think also you know as much as it might seem morbid death is kind of um an extreme emotion and love stories really tap into extremities of emotion in that way so people who are experiencing sort of grief or loss um those are the times when their their sort of um emotions are heightened Mm. and it's also a good time to perhaps embrace love or embrace change um so i think that's maybe why it's coming out in some of these stories as well yeah 
Yeah, they're great. They're beautiful. And also, just uh, from my point of view, they're just, they're writers. I mean, looking at all these people, Sarah Collins, I've, I've read, uh, in fact, we had her on this podcast a couple of years mm. ago um, with her fabulous, fabulous novel. Um, yes. But the bulk of these people, I, I don't know who they are. And I feel like having absorbed all these short stories, I'm like, oh, there's so many people, new people. I want to go and read all their stuff. It's, uh, it's delicious to discover yeah. new voices like this. Well, I mean, Sarah Collins, yes, I was so, so, so excited that she agreed to write a story for the collection because I'm such a big fan of her writing. Yes. And I'm just Franny amazed Langton. she had there time to do it. Yeah, Confessions of Franny Langton is her Langton. novel. Yeah. Um, amazing. But yeah, I mean, there were people like Dorothy Coombson, who is a legend as a writer. She's written so many novels. I think she's on her 16th or 17th book. Um and it, you know, she's always been very supportive of me in my writing. So it was, again, incredible that she had the time to write a story for the collection. Yeah. But yeah, there were, there are a couple of up and coming people. And there are people who, like Kelechi Okafor, um, whose story opens the collection, who is sort of known not necessarily for writing fiction. She writes a lot of opinion pieces and she has so many strings to her bow. She's She owns a pole dance studio. Um, she's very <laughs> active on social media. So she has a very big platform there. Yes, but she has arguments was, with Emma Barnett. Well, well. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> arguments, yeah. Mm, Maybe we'll arguments is the right word, but, yeah, but certainly, it's not the that's, that's why I recognised her name, because that exactly. was on Twitter for a day. It but, was, it was. Um, that, that opening story is is brilliant. I mean, this she's idea of an incredible souls being drawn writer. together over millennia. It's like, oh. yeah, yeah. I mean, she's packed a lot into that one story. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, yeah, it was just so nice to be able to give people like Kalechi, um, people like Amna Salim, a platform to write something in maybe a slightly different milieu than their usual, and they did an incredible job. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, Verizo, is that how I say it? Is that the right way to say it? Yes. Verizo? yes. Um, she was absolutely fantastic. I love that story as well. Yeah, she's a wonderful writer. Again, she, I think, was shortlisted for um, the Fourth Estate Guardian Short Story Prize. Um, I'm probably getting the name of that wrong. but um... I, I do that on every episode. <laughs> it's fine. <But> she, <laughs> so I knew some of her writing from, you know, I knew that she had a talent for writing fiction from that but again um, I knew her journalism more than anything but yeah. yeah it's just seeing that people had that spark and potential yeah but it's like the story variety story is is imagine a social media platform that completely erases itself every night there you are that's that's the pitch that's all you need yes. to know and it's exactly it, brilliant it, idea. it reminds, it reminds <laughs> yeah exactly it reminds me of that you know the simple thing and we should talk about short stories which I'm sure you're going to end up being drawn into lots of discussions about this with, with mm. this publication but but you know why don't we go for short stories more why why is it the only short stories I've read I read a few by Stephen King I've read loads of William Trevor but I don't mm. they don't seem to hit the mainstream in the same way and yet the pleasure I've got from this has been easily equal to what I would get from reading a novel. Absolutely. I think, you know, it is a particular skill um, writing a good short story. And I think perhaps people have a sense that they won't get as much bang for their buck. But I think you're absolutely right that you can derive the same amount of joy from reading a short story as you can from a novel. And particularly at the moment, our attention spans are somewhat limited often um and yeah. you know i know a lot of people are finding it harder even though we're at home to really find time to read you know a um, lot, lot of people read on their commute or they just don't have the mental bandwidth to sit down and read a whole novel 
But mm. that's the beauty of short story collections. You can dip in and out. Um, you can conclude the narrative quickly, you know, and, and get a lot of satisfaction out of them. So, yeah, I agree. Yes. I think more power to short stories. Yeah, definitely. They are satisfying. And you, you're absolutely right. I read, I read one of them whilst the kids were having dinner. I sort of slipped into yeah. the living room and I thought... Mm-hmm. If it was a novel, I'd have thought, well, I can't really be drawn back into chapter after chapter of slow yeah. progressions. Whereas this, I thought, well, I can, I can get what, the bite-sizedness of it, which is a very mm. a glib way of putting it. But it, <laughs> it was, it was very satisfying. It was very, you know, they, my kids were being nourished. I too was being nourished in a very neat <laughs> oh. way. It was great. It was great. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Exactly. I think, I think there's, um, there's more potential for them, and I think that you know we should see more of them. Um, I so. Hope so. Uh, Sarita, uh, mm. Who's Loving You? Love Stories by Women of Colour is out now. It is a really fantastic achievement. I've really, really enjoyed uh, reading it um, and finding new new voices, like I was saying. Uh, what's next for you? Where do you go next in your, uh, your literary journey? Well, I am attempting to work on a new novel. Um, it's been slow going um, <laughs> at the moment, but yeah. it's quite a... It's quite a sort of a different idea for me. Um, maybe a bit unconventional. It's not necessarily strictly romance, which is what I've been working on up to now. So, yeah, I'm taking my time with it, but that's what I'm working on at the moment. Okay. And how, what's your sort of time scale? How long will it take you to... I mean, in terms of putting this book together, in terms of putting Who's Loving You together, Yeah. you know, when, you, when you're getting these pieces in from the writers, are you, are you editing them and get, hand, handing I back am. notes? Okay. Yes, I am. Well, I'm an editor by trade. That is my day job. So, um, ah, okay. yeah, so I, I'm, I've been pretty hands on with reading with them, giving feedback. And yeah, it was like a, a proper editorial effort on my part, um, as right. well as writing a story for it. Um, yes. Alongside the editor, Orion, of course, Marley Price. But um, yeah, it was quite hands on. And it's been quite a lot of coordination, I guess. It's very project management um, yeah. working yeah. on a collection, yeah. And how it's does that compare now? Yes, I can, Im- I can imagine. And how does it compare now when you have to sit down, you know, you have to, you have to um, put all of their styles and, and uh, narrative voices out of your heads and, you, you know, you're diving mm-hmm. into your own piece now. Um, time-wise, how does it compare putting your own book together to, to putting this together? Oh, it's, I don't know, it's kind of... Um, even though it has been quite time consuming dealing with who's loving you and sort of giving feedback, it, it is a different level of energy to trying to come up with or craft your own narrative, um, particularly a novel length story mm. because of the sort of, you know, it's all on you. It's all something that has to be generated from your own imagination. Whereas working on a collection, even though obviously I wrote one of the stories, you was it, you know that's the beauty. I do really enjoy editing other people's work because you get to kind of help facilitate their ideas rather than mm. having to uh, labour away at your own. Um, yeah. That's more of a lonely road, I guess. Um, yeah. And about trying to get it get it right, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you think why why does the idea exist in my head? And then I have to try and make it work on the page. Yeah, it's, mm. it's a challenge. And it's an exciting time. I mean, it's been a, a traumatic time for mm. when you think about things like um, lockdown, obviously, but obviously the the bigger picture, things like BLM, all that sort of stuff. It, mm. Do you feel a sense of hope now? I mean, this book, something we haven't really talked about, is called Love Stories by Women of Colour. 
Yes. Does it feel like a good time, an optimistic time, a positive time, a hopeful time uh, to be a woman of colour writing at the moment? I mean, I hope so. It, you know, part of the reason why I wanted a collection of love stories written by um, black and Asian women is because I felt like there was just a dearth of people like us writing stories that weren't or, or having stories published, put it that way, who are where the books weren't about, you know, explicitly about race or about trauma um, or about something to do with our cultural background. And I think, you know, I really do hope that there is a space for people to realise that we write about a multitude of things and that we're able to do that um, and that there's an appetite for these books. So, yeah, I mean, I, I am hopeful, of course, but, um, you know, there's still not a huge number of books out there that are doing this. So I hope that there'll be more. Excellent, excellent. Well, if they're this good, they will they will keep on coming. Um, who's loving you? Love stories by women of colour. Uh, Sarita Domingo, thank you so much uh, for for bringing this book out, and thank you for joining us on the Magic Book Club podcast. Thank you very much indeed for having me. A pleasure, of course, to have Sarita on the book club with us. There, long may the short story reign. Absolutely fabulous. All right then. Now, next up on the Magic Book Club podcast, all the way from the states, we're joined by the number one. New York Times bestselling author and mystery writing maestro. It is the man who sits on the thriller throne. It's Harlan Coburn himself. Harlan Coburn, thank you for joining us on the Magic Book Club podcast. Nice to be here, Tom. Wow, that was some introduction. Sitting on a throne. The, the <laughs> thriller throne. House, I haven't left my house in New Jersey in, a, in about a year, but okay. <laughs> well, you know what? You can build a throne from all the uh, all the copies of your books you've probably got around your house. Have you got that? Have you got Have you got shelves and shelves of your books published in millions of languages? You know, the thing is, literally, and I don't want to sound like I, I take it for granted because I never do. It's always exciting. Um, last week, I got in the mail my first copies of Wind, the new book. And after 30-something books, there's still no greater thrill than to open that box and see that book. But my wife, when another foreign edition comes in the house, wants to kill me. So we have them <laughs> in the basement. I try giving away to libraries, anything we can do to not only, you know, only for business purposes or whatever. There's also nothing more ridiculous than to have a friend walk in your home, my home library, and see my own books. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, how egocentric can one be? So I try I was say, to keep just, them in um, a box hidden away from everybody. <laughs> make a little, make a little Harlan library in your spare room. So when, when eventually, when lockdown is over, have your guests come and stay. You just sleep in this yeah. room and look at my books everywhere. <laughs> Amazing. Homage to Harlan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, that's yeah. not not my style. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, it's not. And do you know, Harlan, we we actually met a long time ago you probably don't I, remember i know I, i'm almost tempted to call you kenton uh there you go so i played I, I was lucky enough to play the part of kenton in your fantastic series the five which was on sky over here in the uk a couple of years back so i was that's why i was extra thrilled uh to hook up with you again because i wanted to say to you when i met you i'm a huge i've been reading your books for years and years and years so to end up in one of your tv series was an absolute dream come true oh thanks the five was such a joy from yeah. beginning to end to make that show and to see the reaction of uh, of people who uh, who watched it, what a what a, a special time that was! And it's the first I've done with um, the same team: Nicholas Schindler, Danny Brocklehurst, and Richard Fee. We did the five, then we did Safe, which was on yes. Netflix, and 
The Stranger, also on Netflix. And now we're making one called Stay Close with um, Kush Jumbo, uh, Jimmy yes. Nesbitt, uh, Richard Armitage, Sarah Parrish, and Eddie Izzard. So, what uh, a cast! What a cast! Right. I was in I was in Tortured with Kush years and years and years ago, so I know Kush. So that's that is just the most magnificent cast. And also, yeah, she's just great. She's what a great actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what a great team you've got you've got there. And do you know what? That does neatly sort of lead us on to this thing about Netflix. You know, if I look at your, uh, I'm holding a, a copy of Win here, and you, the stickers on it saying, you know, Netflix. Harlan Coben, he he has got a deal with Netflix. Loads of great series coming out on Netflix. And I think certainly over the last year. I almost feel like I've bled my eyes dry watching exciting things on TV. So to to sit down of an evening and say, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do Netflix, but in book form. I hope that's not an insult to you, but it feels like your books are they've got the same bingy, escapist, just have to put everything else on hold that a Netflix box set has. Well, it's, I think you're you're right on. I mean, when I the first show that we did, the five, the one that you were in as Kenton. Kenton Marshall, by the way, was your last name, Sarah. Thank you. Yes. There's very, there's very little I forget, my friend. Um, But that was that was sort of a book idea I had. Um, But having four lead characters, it was sort of unwieldy to write, and I always saw that visually. So to me, the five being the first one, the five was. I said, I'm just going. I want to put a novel on the screen. Uh, I want it to be as long or short as I want it to be. I don't want to have the usual. Um, problems and constraints of television. So, you know, in the old days, if I wanted to make a TV show 10 or 15 years ago, you would go to a network and they would say, okay, 22 episodes, each one will be 47 minutes. Uh, You have to solve the case by the end of each one. That wouldn't work um, for what I do. So Netflix and streaming services have been perfect because the five was 10 episodes, the stranger was eight episodes. I have one coming out uh, Netflix France later on. There'll be five episodes. We did um, The Woods in Poland. That was six episodes. So, and, and the time, uh, one episode can be 40 minutes. One episode can be an hour. Yes. That oh. sort of freedom was oh. not around a few years ago. That's that's new. Yeah. Yeah, and you are making the most of it. It's fantastic. What is it with you and numbers? What is it with you? You've always got this thing in your book. First of all, Woods. We'll get onto Woods in a second. But there's always this core group of five or six or seven people who have maybe lost contact, who are responsible for some mystery in the distant past. How, how do you how do you always approach this thing? And how does that always end up happening? And yet it always feels fresh every time you do it. Well, the only real similarity, um, I think, uh, ends up being, you know, I've had male, female, old, young, different worlds, different countries. The one thing that I I mostly do, and I say that realizing that the next one doesn't have that, um, hmm. is a missing person. I love missing people um, because if somebody's missing, um, there's hope. You know, you can, you can find them. In the case of the five, of course, little Jesse goes missing 20-something years ago, and these four people ha- have not yet been made whole. And now when they find out he could still be alive, they have a chance at full redemption. That's compelling to me. That's a way of really testing a character and causing suspense and, and putting people through the ringer and exploring a lot of themes. Like if somebody's dead, they're dead. You know, you can solve the crime. Yeah. But if somebody may still be alive, that's a whole different um, thing to me. And the woods, the the human... And the endless human fascination with the woods. Why? Why? Why is it? Is it? It's our inner caveman disappearing off into the woods. Maybe I don't know. But you, there's always woods in your books. 
a lot of them, I think probably I grew up in a town, believe it or not, outside of Newark, New Jersey, which you don't really think of as woodsy. Yeah. But right near my house, right across the street, uh, was this this forest. I mean, to me, it was giant. It was actually, it's, a, it's like a water reservation. You're not supposed to go in there. But as a young kid, fairly unwatched by my parents, and I was a wanderer as a little kid, I would wander for hours through these woods and I'd find, I don't know, all sorts of strange things. There would be like a hut out of nowhere and people hiding out there and all this stuff. And I think it always stayed in my imagination. And years later, when I worked at a summer camp, which is the case of the, of the woods, we were right up against the woods. And the, the, to get from the male camp to the female camp, you'd have to walk a little bit through those woods. And it's always what if. So, well, what if something goes wrong? What if something does that? So um, I do really kind of like that setting um, of something tranquil, but yet mysterious. Yes. Tranquil but mysterious. Hello. There's my next tattoo. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, well, listen, let's talk about let's talk about when. Um, articulate, Harlan. Articulate. Now, that when you read the book, you'll know why I've said that. It sounds quite a rude thing to say to Harlan Coburn. But this is almost his catchphrase, isn't it? Articulate. Yes. Uh, when for those uh, who've, who've read me for a long time know who Wynn is, I've written a series of books about a guy named Myron Bolotar, and his sidekick is Wynn. And he's become so popular that in a lot of countries, we call it the Myron and Wynn series rather than the Myron series. But I've always loved the partnership from the days that, you know, it could be Sherlock Holmes and Watson, Batman and Robin, Sherlock and Hawk, whatever it is, even running scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines years ago. <laughs> I've always loved the buddy buddy. Um, but Wynn has always been the sidekick, never the lead. And I thought for people who have never read a Myron Bolotar book, it makes no difference. And people who have standalones never makes no difference. I would start, try a, a, a one book just from the perspective of Wynn, who is a little bit sociopathic. He's an anti-hero. Mm. And um, I really kind of like the experience. So I'm pretty sure he'll be back. Oh, good. That's, that was definitely my obvious next question. There, there's going to be more wins then. I think so. You know, there's an old expression that I use in a lot of the books Yiddish expression uh, translated says, man plans, God laughs. So I plan on doing more win. I plan on doing more of a lot of things, but we'll see if we can get to it. Yeah, yeah. And he's, so, so to sort of dive into the world of win a bit, just to paint the sure. picture for our, for our um, listeners who may never have met him in the Myron books, um, there's real wealth. There. I mean, goodness me, Harlan, the carbon footprint of this guy. Yes. <laughs> he is super wealthy. Um, it, it, it's a, it, what we call mainline Philadelphia wasp in America. We call it that sort of came over blue blood, blonde hair, ruddy complexion. Uh, family's been wealthy for generations. The member of all the right clubs looks very, very soft. But underneath this um, exterior uh, is a rather dangerous a uh, friend to have, a good friend to have, but also a rather dangerous c character. And I I love this world that I put him in, which I haven't really done before. He is super wealthy. So if he needs to get from New York to Philadelphia, he'll just take a helicopter. Yes. If I want him to go travel somewhere, he has a private plane. He can do it. In. Um, and his observations, I think, on on this sort of wealth, I think people will find intriguing, especially in today's in today's world. 
So he's not always appropriate. He's not always politically correct. There's times you won't agree with him, but I think you'll find him endlessly fascinating. Or I hope so. Totally. Totally. Him fascinating. And of course, the story that unfolds around him uh, about, well, there's there's a a hut of horrors in some woods. There's weird things going on with, with, uh, with, with, artwork found next to a dead body and and connections all these connections that you know you are asking all these questions at the beginning of the book and they just they just drive you through this page turner it's a proper you know there's a a rule in our house if if me or my wife are reading and the other one interrupts it better be a really good excuse and every now and again when i'm reading a book like this i'll just look up and say uh beth it's this is a harlan coben book you need to leave me alone now like it it just pulls you through by the nose and it's 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 wonderful stuff well thank you very much there was a lot of uh uh, there's a lot of I, I have a I, I, I try to come up with a theme or ideas that I want to do in a book and sometimes I'll come up with four or five or six and maybe I'll use one maybe I'll use two but in this case I think I used them all I wanted <laughs> an art heist like the famous one in Boston the Gardner Museum I wanted to deal with hippies and 60s and 70s radicals and some of the terrorist what they call domestic terrorist movements of that era the black people have probably seen now the trial of the Chicago seven. Um, on, on Netflix, something of that era. I wanted to have a, a high-profile kidnapping. I wanted to have a hoarder who had a secret identity. All of these things I was thinking yes. could be, each one could be its own book, and somehow they all end up in this one. Yes, and it all fits, and it all works. And at no point do you right. go, it's, it's, it's extraordinary, at no point do you go, oh, come on. Like, you're just the whole time you go with it, and it's got this momentum. It's great fun, and I, I cannot recommend it enough. And what astonishes me most of all, Harlan, is that um, I think I first read one of your books probably in the 90s, I'd imagine. And I now realise, and this, gosh, this dates me as well, this is your 34th novel. Is it really? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't to, that either. To, wow. Well, I'm, I it yeah. many. <laughs> sorry to wow. present you with such a brutal number, but about to say. How, how do you sit down with it? You know, you've got your, your publisher saying, right, come on, keep them coming, Coburn, because these bad boys are selling well. And you're sitting there going, <laughs> I don't know what the what am I going to say? How do you do that? Come on, give us some give us some ideas. What do you do? What's the process you go through to dig in and find some new thrillers and new excitement inside you? Well, first of all, it's, it ends up being now one a year, which sounds like a lot and isn't really a lot. I mean, it's this the, the the key thing I think is it's all I do. It's the only skill that I have. I have no other marketable skill. I have no hobby. <laughs> I have nothing else. I mean, I golf a little bit, but I'm terrible at it. And I really should have just broken a glass and jammed it in my eye instead of taking up golf. But I figured I need something <laughs> I else. feel the same way. There's good golf in Wynn as well, I should say, actually. There's some excellent golf stuff going on in Wynn. Sorry, go on. Yeah, well, Wynn is based off my college roommate, who's an excellent golfer and a member of all those clubs. And so, yes. he, you know, I do know about it. But, um, yeah, so I have nothing else so you think about it, think about all the hours that a normal person is listening to this has to get up and go to work and do all the things that they do. All of those hours I spend thinking, well, what if? Um, suppose I move this character goes over here. How can I? So it's not, when you think of it that way, I don't necessarily think it's all that startling. It's the only skill that I have. You know, I, I, I was once asked on a panel with a bunch of other writers, if you weren't a writer, what would you be? And one of the guys answers a U.S. senator. I'm like, oh, please. I mean, <laughs> I'd be a duvet cover. I got nothing. This is all I got. So that fear, and frankly, there is a fear, um, always drives me back. What am I without this? 
Um, so I go through all the insecurities still after 34 books, I guess now, where um, every book I finish, I go, oh my God, that's it. I got nothing <laughs> left. I'll never write another one. And then I'll think one, and then I'll start writing the next one going, oh my God, this is genius. The old one's crap. And I'll think, oh, yeah. wait, no, I was so good before. Now I stink. All of those things. I mean, I, I probably seem pretty cool at the readings of of the five that we did, but believe yeah. me, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, none of this is working. I got to change that. And is it going to be working? All of these things, constant insecurity, I think really drives most people to write. I say it, only bad writers think they're good. Is that right? Is that right? And so you're sitting there at the five and I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus, there's Harlan Coburn over there. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this. This is amazing. I love this. This is the sort of, you know, when you end up in a TV show that not only are you thrilled to be in, but one that you'd watch as well. I mean, that is so few and far between when that happens. So are you telling me that when I was sitting there at the read-through, you were sitting however many places down from me thinking, I hope this is good. Because in my head, you were just sitting there going, yeah, welcome on board, everyone. No, I was nervous as hell. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the word nervous. I'm really focused, especially I'm a big fan of table reads. Uh, for those who don't know what table read is, probably is obvious maybe, but the actors all come in and we sit around a giant table. So in the case of, you know, uh, Tom was there and, and Tom Cullen was there and Sarah Salmani and Lee Ingleby and O.T. Fag Benley and all the actors that were in the five sit around a table. And for the first time, we read it out, they read it out loud um, in character, and I'm listening. It's sort of like I've composed, and I'm not the only writer. Danny Brocklehurst actually wrote the screenplay for the first episode that we'll talk about first reading. But we're listening like I'm listening to a musical piece and I'm listening for false notes. I'm really focused and I'm really concentrated and I'm trying to get out of my own way so that I can say, no, no, this isn't working. This is, and then, and it's very, very hard sometimes to listen to your own stuff. Um, I never yeah. go back and reread unless I have to. So it's it, it's a it's an interesting process, part of the creative process. And then we meet for hours after you all the actors leave and try to figure out what went right and what went wrong. So really, <laughs> it's a cool part of the process. That's such a funny idea because for the actors, just to give you the actors' point of view, what happens is we all think, "Oh, darling, I'm exhausted," and we all leave, and we all think the rest of you leave straight away. The the very idea oh my God, that, no. that you will sit Spend there the whole day there. Right. And the other thing as well, you know that um, it's known as the third audition, the table read, because you as an actor, you sit down and there are stories. And especially, my friend, with American shows, I was in another American show where people did the table read and a few people got got axed at the table read. So actors are on edge at the table read as well so it's a it's a kind of it's it's mixed because you kind of think i mean i've done it i've got there part of you's terrified you're going to lose it part of you just wants to watch the show unfold around you it's so many different things going on yeah no it's a it's a it's a mix of emotions we never fired anybody i can say i've done a, a number of shows but there are times that I, i've spoken strongly to the director afterwards and and said well we got to work on, on on what he or she is doing yeah. with this um I shouldn't say that we have we did not at the audition we, did, we have I've, I, we have removed actors, which is really painful because I know. Also, one of the you know I realize we're, we're we're a book show, not a TV show, but you're an actor, so you'll appreciate this. When we get in the auditions, for example, for your part, I probably watched myself ten audition tapes. It would have been uh, our great casting director um, Priscilla would have knocked it down to about ten to show us. And every one of them, I try to watch really hard because I know all, all 10 of those people, this is their dream. They really want to 
get it to working so hard. And the rejection is not really often rejection of the person. It's, I saw them taller, I saw them shorter, they're not going to look really good with the person next to them. It's, you know, or, and everybody has a different idea. It's, it's a yeah. very strange process, but it's not like we always, well, if there's 10 that come in, the three or four of us who decide all agree and it's right away and it's, it's definitely that person. Yeah. It's a very yeah. strange process. But I tell you what, interestingly, it does kind of feed back into this being a books podcast because that's how it happens in the book. That is how you create the book. These people, by the time it becomes a TV show, sure, they're physical, actual human beings walking into your life to resemble those people and to portray those people. But when you're writing the book, is that not kind of what's happening in your head? You know, you, these people are existing, these fictitious people are existing in your head. You've got a kind of audition process as you're writing the book to populate it with all these characters. Yes, very much so. And... Um... One of the hard parts when you do adapt is to remove those visions from your head. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, just because I see a guy a certain way, um, I have to be open to the fact that no one will match that character in my head exactly. And mm. so, you know, uh, you have to let the person, but part of being a, an adaptation is that, so, you know, in the case of The Stranger, for example, I created Adam Price, right? But now Richard Armitage is going to take him in a different direction. He's going to add his thing. Danny Brocklehurst is going to add his part. Daniel O'Hara, who is the director, and Hannah Quinn, were the directors, are going to add their part. So at the end, it's going to be much more of a collaboration rather than in the book, which is a single vision. Yes. For me, that's very exciting. For some people, that's not. But for me, um, after all these books, it's been really fun to collaborate with, with people after spending my life alone in a room. Well, that's it. Fun. We don't hear that word enough on this podcast. You know what I mean? Like the reason any of us start doing any of this stuff is because initially it's fun. You are it is we're fun. playing. We get to play. Yeah, I think I think being an actor is a pretty cool career. Uh, if you could, you know, uh, except for the the not working and trying to get the jobs part of it. I mean, I think yeah. there's nothing more magical than being on a set for you know. The, yes, it's it is boring, like they tell you. Yes, the, the, you're sitting in a trailer most of the day. But the few minutes that you are filming, there is a level of magic and fun that it's it's very childlike, and um, yeah. I've really I've really enjoyed it. I, I, it was late in my career when I started to do the TV stuff, as I think we mentioned before. It really didn't fit my style when I was younger, um, and I don't think I would have been confident enough. And I was just focused on the books. Um, now that I'm older, I've learned to be able to focus on both. And in fact, I can make them feed off each other. Uh, Tom, which is weird. So in other words, right now I'm sitting at my desk and I'll write mm -hmm. and then I'll, you know, I'm an introvert. So that's okay for me. But every once in a while, you know, you want to get out and see people. So I'll visit the set like I did when with, with you guys on table read and no offense, I'll be there two or three days and I'll love it. And then by the third day, I'm like, oh my God, I got to get a alone in a room because I'm an introvert. There's too much <laughs> of this. So it makes <laughs> me kind of go back yes. to write, you know, so yeah. it makes me want to go back to write. I've never had to spend more than in two or three days in a row on set yeah yeah do you here's a question i often ask thriller writers and i'm, I'm fascinated by and horror writers as well do you ever scare yourself are there any books that you think back to now and think oh when i came up with that oh god like the hut in the woods in the case of uh, in, in wind <laughs> are, are there moments where you just think oh that's that's horrifying what what's wrong with me how have i come up with that yeah well the, the latter not the former i don't i don't really i don't scare myself i do um look at myself and go, where did that come from sometimes? It's like, <laughs> what the heck was that? As does my wife. 
Yeah. I don't scare myself. I do move myself. I'll tell you the truth. I've seen The Five, for example, you know, when we were editing it, and even to this day, I've probably seen the last episode of The Five 30 times, and I've never not welled up and, <laughs> and felt emotional by it. Um, never. And I say the same thing when I wrote certain books, when I write the endings of a lot of books that are particularly emotional. When I wrote the scenes between Wynn and his daughter in this book, I do get really emotional. I do well up and, and, and tear up um, when I write those scenes, but I never get scared. I love that. The, the soft underbelly of Harlan Coburn. Well, I mean, the five, the, of, of all the shows that I've, uh, we've done, I mean, The, the Stranger being, the, I think, has been the biggest and most well-known. But the mm. ending of The Five is always my favorite. I love that last episode of The Five. Uh, Geraldine James um, really, especially, got to really shine in some moments. But, uh, uh, you know, that, show, that ending was a very special uh, ending for me. Yeah, yeah. So, before we lose you, Helen Coburn, and thank you so much for joining us on the Magic Book thank Club you. podcast, what is next for you? You're sitting at your desk now. Presumably you're doing endless publicity uh, for Win, which is out now in all good bookshops. Um, what, what, when, you, when you switch off your Zoom call now and you turn back around at your desk, you, what, what are you looking out at and then what are you looking down at, please? Uh, well, the, the, I'm gonna, the next book I'm writing is a, is, a, is a sequel to The Boy from the Woods, giving his origin story. Um, that's the next book that I'm, I'm midway through. Uh, we announced today that the next Netflix show um, will be The Innocent, and it comes out April 30th. It's already filmed. I can't wait for people to see it. It's really different from the other shows that we've discussed. It's very, very edgy, hip, graphic, and really exciting and thrilling. Um, so that's we just announced it today, so I'm getting a lot of emails and, 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 and stuff about um, that. And I know I have a new puppy named Winslow. A lot of people follow my Instagram and Twitter because of my two dogs, Laszlo and Winslow. And so um, I have to take Winslow out for another walk because she's still he's still a puppy. And uh, I, and so I don't like to leave them alone too long, too long. Of so that'll course, be the rest of my of day. Course you've got a, of course you've got a puppy called Win. Of course you have. I mean, it's not, it's not Windsor, it's Winslow. Yes, this is Winslow. My, my kid's named it. I was sort of like, it's going to look a little too precious, but we ended up deciding to go with Winslow. What kind of uh, puppy yeah. is it, please? They're Havanese. Both are Havanese. Both of my dogs are Havanese. Oh, and they're adorable. And you can see them on Harlan Coben Instagram or Twitter or there Facebook for that matter. Not, not to plug go. my social media because I have a love-hate relationship with social media like everybody else we know. Yes. Um, but, you can, but the dogs are worth the price of admission. You can go on social media and enjoy the, the light, fluffy side of Harlan Coburn, then read his books and be terrified to your wit's end. Um, Harlan, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to uh, catch up with someone who I'm a fan of and someone who employed me. So thank you very much, Steve. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you. Thanks, Tom. Great to talk to you too. Oh, what an author. The guy is a... I'm going to put this out there. He's a luminary in the world of thriller writing. He is fantastic. Harlan Coburn there. If you've never checked out any of his books, Win is a very, very good place to start. And that's it. That's all we've got time for on the Magic Book Club podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you head over to magic.co.uk to see the rest of our March picks. In the meantime, my name's Tom Price. See you soon. Happy reading. Happy reading.